packed with bright, fresh, bold flavors and beer pairings to complement each dish, my new book, The Craft Brewery Cookbook, brings the beer garden straight to your kitchen. It'll be released on May 10th, and you can pre-order now wherever books are sold. Organized into chapters according to beer type, including hoppy ales, lagers and pilsners, wheat beers, and Belgian-style ales, this cookbook will help you discover each beer's style and flavor profile and how it pairs with the accompanying recipes, each from a different American brewery, including many from the voices you've heard on this show. Whether you're a fan of fruity kettle sours or New England IPAs, the Craft Brewery Cookbook will show you how to create the ideal meal to accompany your favorite beer. It's published by Princeton Architectural Press, and you can pre-order now wherever you buy books and get it delivered on May 10th. The Craft Brewery Cookbook breathes new life into the concept of food and drink pairing by offering an inspired take on contemporary beer styles and cuisine. Pre-order your copy today wherever you get your books. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week, I'm talking with Dana Henyon. She's the co-founder and co-owner of Van Henyon Brew in Bend, Oregon. And we're talking about starting a brewery during a pandemic, finding ways to keep the brewing flame alive, and creating lagers that resonate with drinkers. And we're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support journalism in the beer space. You can help us out too. Learn more by emailing sponsor at beeredge.com. Speaking of that, you should also go visit beeredge.com to sign up for the newsletter, to catch up with the Beer Edge podcast, and to check out our merch page, which is full of This Week in Rauk Beer gear, as well as Defend Pilsner mugs. Loggers continue to get the love in the craft beer space. And this week, I'm glad to have Dania Henyon on the show. She's the co-founder, co-owner, and brewer at Van Henyon Brewing, a new operation that opened in a brewery space that was previously occupied by Boneyard Brewing in Bend, Oregon. She runs the brewery with her husband, Mark, and longtime friend and colleague, John Van Duzer. Together, they say it's a combined 65-plus years of brewing experience at some of the state's better-known breweries. This includes Oakshire, Deschutes, Ninkasi, and the aforementioned Boneyard. Similar to just about everyone else, the last two years have been difficult, she says, but ultimately the pandemic, which led to Boneyard merging with Deschutes and the availability of their production space, led to the trio being able to chase their dream and open their own spot. They say it'll be a lager brewery and started brewing and distributing earlier this year, but Henyon also says that they're going to introduce other beers from time to time, following a model of balancing consumer demands and wants along with brewer passions. From building out a tap room and seeing the warning signs of burnout to how the brewing community has evolved but still seems tight-knit, we cover a lot in a short period of time. I spoke to Dana shortly after she had returned from Duluth, Georgia, where Good Word Brewing had just put on its Little Beer Fest, a celebration of all things session. So I started there. Here's our conversation. Was that one of the first festivals you've done since the world got turned upside down? Um, with our brewery? Yes. Um, actually, I think it is also just with it. You know, even my my previous job before this, it was my first festival since um, the pandemic. But it was it was extra exciting um, because it was our brewery's first invitational, our first fest. Um, you know, we sold our first keg in January of this year. So it was a pretty big deal that 
to be invited to go out there. I mean, you're no stranger to festivals, I imagine, uh, being in and around beer for as long as you have been. Um, I've, I've been asking folks because we're getting back into fest season and it seems like last year in 21, there were fits and starts with it and people were still a little gun shy. And now here in 22, uh, people are just going full steam at them. Before everything fully hits its stride, are there things from festivals past that you'd love to see reset and not make its way into this new age, this new era? Are there like ways to improve upon festivals now that we've had a pause? Huh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure that I can say that there's anything too annoying about fests or things that I don't prefer, except for maybe when there's like a lot of um, red tape, like tokens and wristbands and I don't know, just making it very hard for people to uh, kind of maneuver the fest without lines and I don't yeah. know, almost like money grabbing sort of, and those are always at the big fest, like, you know, citywide or things like that. Not, not invitationals or anything. Um, yeah. You know, that stuff's always kind of frustrating. And I think those are sort of the fests that I enjoy the least. I always like the smaller fests. They're more intimate and, uh, you know, they got a little live music or, you know, you get to set up next to your friends, that kind of thing. I've always really enjoyed. Yeah, there's been this rise of invitational festivals where the brewers themselves are are, are, are putting them on. Um, and it seems that, you know, it, it is brewers putting on the types of fest that they know other brewers are going to appreciate first. And then the ticket holding attendees will just have a good time because the brewers are having a good time. Yeah. Is that, does that sort of square with, you know, do, do you feel like if you're having a good time, people will have a good time as well? I think so. I mean, that's every fest that I, I feel like is the most fun is, is one that is kind of driven by, by the brewers. Like there's that, Pilsner Fest down in SoCal that I know oh, is yeah. a blast. And that's another, like, you know, kind of a niche uh, fest. Um, and I think when when a brewery is getting that excited or, or a collection of them about something, I think people are naturally just gravitated towards it. What's the last two years been like for you? Um, really uh, different. <laughs> I don't know when I, before, before the pandemic started, um, I was brewing at, at Boneyard and I was, I was heading up the mixed fermentation program at Boneyard and getting really into that. Um, we were finally starting to take off, uh, where I could spend most of my hours over at the mixed fermentation program. Okay. Um, and that was really getting stuff together for, for festivals and things, you know, you get the little one-off barrel aged beers, you get racked and work on bottle projects and stuff. And then the pandemic hit and that whole program got shut down because there was no more draft and going out. Um, so then I got kind of thrown back into shift brewing and uh, being, I don't having done it so long, it was starting to lose my passion. I was starting to get a little burnout. Um, and, you know, and then the, merger with Deschutes happened and, you know, the future kind of opened up, but also seemed a little uncertain. So that was a very 
kind of chaotic and unstable moment in time there. But things started to kind of come together and make more sense for me and my partners and the rest of the people at the brewery here. And we worked towards what we're doing now. And as soon as that momentum started, things kind of made more sense and felt better. And uh, it's been really exciting. So I'd say the last nine months have been thrilling and, you know, nerve wracking, but very cool. Um, so yeah, it was, I guess the last two years of my career have been completely crazy, I guess. Was owning a brewery ever part of your long-term career plan? Yes, that was a hundred percent. I think it's always a, a brewer's dream. So that was, it was always kind of a, a little tongue in cheek, like, Oh, I want to have a lager brewery one day. I've actually joked about it with people like, cause it seems kind of like a long shot. Um, but me and my husband talked about it when we got together um, and that we would specifically do lagers. And uh, you know, I think even when I left Eugene to move to work at Boneyard, I had it in my mind that, you know, this would be something we do, you know, because Mark wanted to see this through and help Tony out and get this brewery, get Boneyard's production facility, you know, um, just streamlined. Uh, but I always thought that I probably couldn't be content, you know, not being able to express my creative side and, and have more control of my own future, I guess. Yeah. Um, so even when you were doing mixed firm and, and, and one-offs, your mind was still traveling back to loggers. Uh, I mean, I was in terms of, so like I was doing mixed firm and I could go make my own beers at brew one. We mm. all, all the brewers kind of cycled out of the smaller brewery yeah. and I would make, I'd make like a Mexican lager or something like that. Um, so always, you know, the passion was always there. The mixed firm thing, I think for me was, uh, was a way to, to enjoy my job, you know, to have fun. But, um, I don't think I would have opened a, a, a brewery that specialized in that or anything. Yeah. It, it, it strikes me that the pandemic has crystallized a lot of long-term visions for brewers of, and I think a lot of folks in life as well, we've seen people resign from jobs that made them unhappy to try to pursue new careers or find places where um, they, they, they feel a little bit more um, valued. Um, is it, you've been doing this for a while. When you have people from the outside who hear what you do for a living, maybe meet you for the first time, you know, out in the, out in the world. It's like, wow, you're a brewer. That, that, that's so cool. And they're not thinking about the shift work or the keg washing or, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, the really hard part of it. It's that, it's that internet meme, right? What, what my friends think I do. And it's just a picture of people partying all the time. Um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to get at like, what have you found works to keep burnout from from coming or um getting stagnant in the job from from sort of taking over i feel like i just um dodged having to figure that out uh <laughs> so i you were getting there i was getting there i was i was really when i started um first couple years at my first brewery it was all learning it was all exciting second job um, same thing. So first, job, so first job was where? 
Oakshire Brewing. Okay. In, in, in Eugene. Eugene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the second job was in Kasi. And while I was there, uh, they commissioned a 90 barrel brew house. So that was thrilling. That was the um, one that had, or that's when they were building the, uh, that pipeline, right? From one to the next. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It was okay. like the bridge yeah. Um, between the two. Yeah. There was the 60 barrel and then the 90 barrel Hoopman. Um, yeah. And also that's very fresh in my career still, like six years in, still very fresh. And then here, um, and then a Boneyard, I mean, um, still same feeling, still fresh, still learning. Um, and then it was about the five year mark here uh, was when I started getting into the mix firm and my career was changing a bit. So that was exciting. Um, and then when I got thrown sort of back into shift brewing, no events, no fun stuff. Uh, that's when I started to go like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I doing? Am I going to try to go to another brewery and try something, you know, where I might have more control or more creativity or something? Um, these were thoughts that were crossing my mind and it was unrelated to Boneyard. I was very happy working there. Um, it was more just like, it looks like for the future, you know, this isn't changing. So either I change it, you know, I was definitely going to stay in the, in brewing, but yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't shift brew forever. <laughs> it's just like, this is getting a little crazy. And then, and then everything happened with the new facility and um, the opportunity to, to have some ownership. And, uh, you know, this is all I wanted and, you know, crossing my fingers that we can sell beer and make this dream happen. So, so let's talk about the dream. Let's talk about um, what Van Hennion is going to be um, or what it is now and then what you want it to be. So um, you're partnered with John and then uh, married to Mark. And uh, so the three of you are um, in this together. And mm-hmm. how, how did the three of you decide what the brewery was going to be, at least at first. Sure. Um, I think Mark and I were pretty, we knew we were going to do a lager brewery um, if we ever opened one. So when the opportunity came up, that was, that was our idea to, or like the idea I should say. Um, and so when John came on board or we all, you know, talked about doing this together, it was just simply, you know, a suggestion to, to, John, you know, like we want, we were thinking loggers. Um, we were thinking probably should make an IPA because we're here in the Pacific Northwest and you can't really get away with not doing that. People want one. And well, like, uh, a pro- just, like, like a proper IPA, like a, like a clear, bitter West coast. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. I and I wondered, think, yeah. Yeah. One thing that the three of us all had in common was that we, that we all love loggers and we love German style beers. Um, one of John's, babies is his Kolsch and that's the Kolsch that we have now is is his creation um and so it was about making beers that we all like to drink and that was something that all three of us were 100 on board with um so it wasn't a very tough tough meeting between the three of us to figure out the styles of beers that we were going to make um i think you know he's i mean i'm sure he's i can't speak for him but i'm sure he's thought about this himself too so yeah it, that's why it came so easily um, you know, we all work well together and, and like the same styles of beer. So what, I mean, there, there's obviously been 
lager specific breweries that have been operating in and around the U.S. for you know quite some time. Some newer ones, some 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 older ones. Um, is it? What's been the reception? Like, are people excited about a lager brewery? Like when you when you when you when you tell people what they're what they're doing, because um, I feel like you know a lot of like the you know pastry stouts or hazies or or whatever gets a lot of attention, um, you know, and lagers can you know be seen as boring even though they're not. Um, are people generally excited? Yeah, I think I think we're getting really good reception. Uh, we're also not like quite there yet with you know being lagers only, just because we have a, a pretty large capacity uh, brew house here and brewery. Um, and we can't just be making one-off beers that people don't want to drink. So we're very <laughs> aware that that we can't just make a Schwartz beer out of nowhere um, and hope our distributor can do something with it. Uh, so we're kind of baby stepping our way into this dream. We're not going full tilt. We've got to see what we can sell and try to make the consumer happy and stay true to ourselves at the same time. So how do you do that? Like, give me an example of like, what are you making right now instead of the Schwartz beer? Like that will. We have a Pilsner that's about, I think, four weeks away from being ready, maybe three. Um, And we're going to put it in a 16 ounce can. And we're currently just doing 12 ounce cans and and draft. And we thought, you know, we already have a Hellas, which is a style that we love. And that's why it was our first beer we made. Um, we made the IPA. We love we love IPAs. Um, So we made an IPA that we like to drink and that's doing really well. Then we made John's Kolsch and we thought, you know, if we're going to do another light beer, another lager, which we definitely want a Pilsner, you know, how can we make this a little more appealing? So we think the 60 ounce can, you know, might help a consumer out in Portland who doesn't know who we are, Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, we'll see, you know, maybe it'll mess up our, our Hellas production or, you know, we're so new at this or new with our brewery that um, we don't really know what's going to happen with, with that. Um, but the, but the eventual goal is to be, is to transition to all lagers. Yeah. And I think we will always have an IPA. It says that kind of in our, you know, what are kind of about us is that we'll, we'll always have the Pacific Northwest or the West coast style IPA. You know, we love a dry air stout. So, you know, maybe one day we'll make one of those, but we're going to be, we're going to be focused on, on making quality lagers because that's our passion. Um, and if we can, you know, maybe do some contract brewing to fill up our tank space to, to kind of take the pressure off of us, then sure. we can probably have some more fun and make those fun lager styles, like a, like a rope beer or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're talking to the right audience now. Um, <laughs> what do you love most about smoked beers? Uh, it, I can't put my finger on it. I think that maybe just kind of reminds me of like a ham sandwich or something. It's just a real fun, tasty, lots of flavor kind of, um, it's the word just like a complex flavor. It's just enjoyable. I just enjoy drinking them. I love it. Um, you mentioned sort of figuring things out. Um, you've obviously been a brewer in various capacities over your career, but now you are a brewery owner. What have been some of the bigger challenges that you didn't anticipate that you've been faced with in the last couple of months? 
Uh, probably, I mean, I probably, we saw this coming, but, um, you know, selling beer, that's probably like the biggest, I mean, we're not having any issues with, um, producing beer, uh, cause the system that we're on is a system we've been on for the last seven years. Okay. So you know, our glycol actually did go out the other day cause of a windstorm, but we fixed it quickly because, you know, we know how to work the system. So, um, yeah, like beer production, that hasn't been an issue. We're just, for us, it's like, we're a bunch of brewers. We're not really like events people. We're not marketing people. And so I've been kind of trying to brand us and like market us and work with salespeople and it's all that's all new to us um and it's hard it's actually a lot of it's a lot of work and uh it's it's a little stressful and it's just like you know you want to come off as authentic and you want people to like your beer but you don't want to shove it down their throats you know you just want to let them know about it yeah have there have there been things that you've been surprised about enjoying like challenges that um i don't know have you know, yeah I've, the, yeah sorry i've been enjoying uh like a this is actually brewing related yeah. but whenever i'd make a one-off beer of my own recipe at brew one it was probably the most thrilling thing you know i'd check it every day taste the wort you know, just obsess over it um, in a way that was felt different than other beers. And that's like currently my feeling about everything in every tank, which is a new feeling. Um, just the just excitement about the beer um, and the, you know, the concern about it um, is heightened. Yeah. And also, and I, I know that kind of implies that I wasn't concerned before, but always it's got to be different when it's your own baby. Yeah. Um, and then we're actually learning a lot more about loggers than before because now we're making them where, you know, I think we only made the Pilsner really at a boneyard. Um, so we're trying some new techniques and stuff and talking to people more and it's just, we're more engaged um, than we've been previously, like engaged with other lager breweries and other brewers and just, you know, kind of feel like we're learning new stuff and, you know, that's all, that's all pretty cool. Okay. Can, can I ask where your education has been taking you? Like, what have you been learning about loggers that has you excited about what you're going to be putting into tanks? Like, where have you been focusing your studies? Um, well, I guess the the newest thing that was kind of a fun, um, like, interaction I had with Goodward was there, there are, like, memes they have about spunding beer. Um, yeah. They have, like, spund or die and all that. Yes. Um, I had only heard about spunding, but we didn't, I've never worked at a brewery that did that, did that. Um, and we, you know, realized we want, you know, that, that big tight head on our beers. And so we just started spunding. And can I put you on the spot just for anybody who's listening, who might not be familiar with the term? Oh, sure. It's spund means to bung in German. So it's just, uh, it's just bunging your beer before the end of fermentation. Um, and then that way, you know, all that CO2 kind of gets, uh, absorbed back into the beer, naturally carbonating it. And it's supposed to create smaller bubbles, you know, that don't sort of dissipate as fast when you're, um, pouring the beer. Yeah. Um, and so you've been, you've been messing around with that then. Yes. And it's just, uh, been, you know, kind of like a little fun thing to get to work every day and check the 
pressure on the tank and check the carb and, you know, see before we've even, you know, transferred it, see where the level's at. And um, we actually haven't had a beer that's been um, packaged yet that we use that process for. We currently have four beers and tanks that are, that are being spun, um, but we haven't, those ones still haven't made it to package yet. Okay. So I've been able to test the, you know, test to see if our head retention's better. I, I know Oregon is different in that it has a long beer history. You know, people have worked at various places. There's a lot of relationships and uh, kinship that exists in and around the the, the beer industry. Um, it also seems that you know, with nine thousand plus breweries and everybody being you know stressed out about the pandemic, that uh, things are are, are shifted um, a little bit as well, and people are sort of watching their own backs a little bit more. Um, but when you're talking about sharing information and you know learning from from folks, do, do you still feel the camaraderie of the industry is largely intact? Uh, you know, still. Yeah, I can't speak for anyone else but myself. So well, sure. I think I think absolutely. Um, I feel I I like breweries that share information with each other, um, that help each other out because you know we're all the same people. We're in in this world. Like we found ourselves in this career in this part of the country. You know, we're obviously have a lot in common, and uh, you know, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too thrilled to, to know people that weren't, you know, open about, you know, making beer better. Um, so yeah, I feel like, you know, my interactions with other breweries, especially starting out our new brewery have been really excellent. Um, and there's a new brewery in town that just started out funky fauna. They're okay. kind of, they, I think they opened maybe a few months before us, but I feel like a lot of kinship with them. Like we're kind of going down this road together now in a way, you know, so I like to check in on them and see how they're doing and how their beers are and, you know, just hoping for the best for them. Let me ask you about, so, so you're making beer, it's going out in kegs, you're, 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 you're packaging beer, it's going out into the world. Um, the, the tap room is not yet open to the public. Mm-mm. Okay. And you're in what used to be Boneyard's space. Yeah. When you're thinking about what you want the tap room to be, because I, I remember that space from visiting years ago, and I mean it was, it was small and uh, intimate, and uh, had a very distinct personality that was very much tied to the beer and to the brands. And I imagine that you know if you live in in, in Bend and you're going there, that you know people expect a certain thing. Um, how have you been approaching? what you want the space to be when it is now your space. Yeah. And how, and how, do, you, how do you square the two? Yeah. So um, there's two Boneyard facilities. Yeah. There's the smaller brewery, which is the one that sounds like you visited. Okay. It had the very distinct tap room. Yes. Um, so where we are located is the large production facility that we've been working at primarily or mostly the whole time we've been here. Um, and that didn't have a tasting room. Um, okay. So yeah. So we are, the reason why our tasting room is taking so long is 
the city does not like that we are trying to start something. They no. they're requiring a lot of um, uh, permits and things they've got to look at and approve. Um, so we thought we had a hand washing sink and we we're going to build a bar and open the doors. Um, and then they came in and said, no, you're not. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we might be a little ways out. Like we have to get an architect in here to check out some plumbing situations and drop plans that they approve. Um, and then we have to do some plumbing. So, um, so that kind of put the, yeah. And that kind of put the pressure on us definitely to sell some beer, or get a contract going because the tasting room is definitely going to help us a lot with bringing people in to see who we are and try our beer. So that's, that was yeah. a, a bummer that we didn't see coming. I'm sorry about the confusion. I, 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 I misunderstood when I was reading, um, reading on you guys, but yeah. and then thinking about though, what you want an ideal place to be, because there are lager houses and people do it sort of in, in their own way. Um, when it, when you do eventually get the 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 city in line and the permits done and the architectural you know uh, everything sorted out, um, can you see it in your mind's eye of what you want it to be? Yeah, um, that was that was kind of um, an aspect of uh, my my personality or my I don't know like the things that I enjoy doing that sort of was able to come out and be helpful to the, to the company unexpectedly. So I designed the tasting room aesthetic and we've actually pretty much put it together. We, we were trying to be open as early as January. So the tasting rooms looks pretty complete. Um, And it's got, you know, velvet wallpaper and old school vintage swag lamps, um, cuckoo clock and sort of Bitburger mirrors and, um, hardwood floors. Uh, it's just kind of a cozy vintage aesthetic and it's sort of just a place that, you know, I think I just thought this would be a really nice place to drink a beer and stay a while. That was kind of the vibe that I wanted that you would sit down and you'd think I'm not getting up here, getting out of here for a while. You know, I'd have a few more kind of a thing. I like that. Um, When you're thinking about sitting around, staying for a while, creating these atmospheres, and I think loggers can lend themselves to, I mean, most beers can lend themselves to um, good conversation among friends or letting the mind um, wander a bit. As, as you think about future beers that you want to make, not just taste, but do you do you try to think about what a beer can convey, what it can put out into you know the mind of a drinker, or what you hope it does? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, it was a I weird can, question, to be fair. But yeah, I can say that one of my favorite styles is a Dunkelweiss, and I just love. The smell, I love the the flavor, the appearance, everything about it kind of makes me feel a bunch of different feelings um, that seems like a certain time and place. And I don't drink them all the time. So when I do, it feels really special. Yeah. And so maybe that's what you mean, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think so. If just sort of some of those intangibles, like outside of the glass, not just the, you know, not just the flavors, but, you know, 
what what sort of emotions can it elicit or you know feelings it can bring on sure like a like a big stein with you know a five inch foam head on it might make you feel kind of like you're in the old world yeah yeah and i mean is that as you as you're thinking about when the tap room opens yeah i think so i think maybe you know sort of feeling feeling like you're somewhere special and you know, taking it in i understand um i've been asking folks on the show for a while now um the 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 premise is essentially uh my wife and i were rewatching the good place and there's this whole aspect of the show with a green door where you can uh, walk through a green door and be anywhere at any point in time with anybody that you want um and so if such technology exists uh, on this plane of existence and you could finish this conversation and walk through a green door and be in any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world with anybody you wanted where'd you want to go who'd you want to be with what would you want to be drinking um well it's not a person okay but i think i'd want to be with my pup wiley who is no longer with us. Okay. And I'd want to be drinking, let's say, Dunkelweiss. Okay. And I don't know of any specific breweries that would take me there. Maybe a fictional brewery. I've never been never been to Germany. Maybe a nice Bavarian spot. Okay. But just a good beer, your good pup, and a comfortable setting. Yeah. I like that. Um, I haven't traveled for a while. I'm looking forward to to, to traveling and 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 hopefully getting down to Bend uh, again to seeing you guys um, hopefully open. Um, what's Bend like these days, beer wise, for for the folks who are out in the world these days? Is it the same great beer spot it's always been? Uh, getting better? What's the what's the read on the town from a local? Uh, yeah, I think it's getting better. I think people are really excited that things are opening up again. Um, it definitely feels busy. Like people are getting out and about. Um, I think we've had a few, like Boss Rambler just opened up a new brewery and they might be working on a pub there. Okay. Um, and I think, I don't know, There's there's been a number of kind of developments that just sort of came out of the pandemic um, that are really fun. So I, I think the, the beer scene's kind of starting to thrive again. So it's exciting. It's definitely a better vibe than it was a year ago. Well, that's good to hear and uh, a, a good reason to, to visit. Um, Dana, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for taking the time and uh, sharing what you all are doing. And I'm excited to, to see it all come together. Yeah, thanks, John. It's been fun. I often have loggers on the mind. What about you? What's a style you'd like to see more on taps or on offer from breweries? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. 
Check out BeerEdge.com for our This Week in Rauk Beer and Defend Pilsner merch and follow along on social media at The Beer Edge. Of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search and on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. And we're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, please check out the Craft Brewery Cookbook. Packed with bright, fresh, bold flavors and beer pairings to complement each dish, my new book, The Craft Brewery Cookbook, brings the beer garden straight to your kitchen. It'll be released on May 10th, and you can pre-order now wherever books are sold. Organized into chapters according to beer type, including hoppy ales, lagers and pilsners, wheat beers, and Belgian-style ales, this cookbook will help you discover each beer's style and flavor profile and how it pairs with the accompanying recipes, each from a different American brewery, including many from voices you've heard on this show. So whether you're a fan of fruited kettle sours or New England IPAs, the Craft Brewery Cookbook will show you how to create the ideal meal to accompany your favorite beer. It's published by Princeton Architectural Press, and you can pre-order now wherever you buy books and get it delivered on May 10th. The Craft Brewery Cookbook, it breathes new life into the concept of food and drink pairings by offering an inspired take on contemporary beer styles and cuisine. Again, pre-order your copy today, wherever you get your books. A reminder, check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, including a bunch of shows coming up from Miami. And the BOIO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of Drink Beer, Think Beer release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to, yes, drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>